This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Get to the Good Part. I am Ryan. I'm John. And this is Chris. On Get to the Good Part this week, we have Chapter 8, but we also have a special announcement, which we promised to you uh, a little while ago on Twitter and on the Facebook and on every social media platform. On July 28th, we will be doing our first ever live episode, and we'll be broadcasting live from Sutri's High Gravity Tavern in downtown Knoxville, located at 409 South Gay Street. For those of you who happen to be sort of near that area, it's definitely going to be worth coming out. Um, We're going to be doing something a little bit different. It's not just going to be a live episode to get to the good part. Uh, Chris, you want to kind of describe what we will be doing? We are going to be reenacting Chapter 8. The cursed sort of. chapter, sort of. Well, we're gonna be we're gonna be doing a live casting of our playing D and D, playing the Tomb of Horrors module while drinking and in front of cameras for everyone to see, <laughs> <laughs> with some slight variations because we're not we're not doing an exact replication, but we are going to be playing out the characters. So everybody who's going to be playing at the table will have one of the characters from the book. It'll be statted out. Based on that character, with some minor modifications, and in order to make it a little bit interesting, since the Tomb of Horrors is a very trap-laden uh, adventure, we're going to be having—we're going to be replacing the challenges of those traps with pop culture '80s and '90s trivia. And depending on how we answer it, or if we just don't know, and depending on how we roll, we'll determine how we get through those traps and eventually make our way to a Sarawak. It's going to be interesting because it's going to be a different take on Tomb of Horrors. Uh, you know, first of all, we're going to be doing it in front of a live audience, so we want it to be interesting for them. We want it to be interesting for you guys out there listening. You know, listening to a D&D module for some of you is probably very interesting. For others, it would be kind of boring. We're going to be doing it in kind of a fun way. Uh, basically, we're going to be, as Chris said, replacing those traps with... Not just trivia, but interesting mechanics that revolve around Mm -hmm. the 80s and the 90s. Uh, You know, popular culture from that time. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. Before the event comes up, I'm going to be putting out player cards to let you know what the different abilities and, 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 you know, um, the measurements on the characters and and how they'll interact with the Tomb of Horrors, some of their limitations, some of their capabilities. Uh, We've been working on this for a little while. We're really excited about it. It's going to be a lot of fun. We hope you can join us live. Uh, If you're one of the people that can show up live, uh, great. We're going to hang around at Sutri's, uh, which is a barcade, actually. I almost didn't mention that. (laughs) Uh, Sutri's is actually a barcade in downtown Knoxville. 
They do have a joust machine. They have every pinball game almost that matters. Um, a bunch of stand-ups, a bunch of sit-down arcades, and a bunch of really good beer, and a bunch of really good people. We're really excited to do it there, and uh, we really appreciate them letting us have the event there. Uh, show up, it's going to be a lot of fun. If you can't show up, if you're outside of, uh, you know, of, if it's beyond your capability to be in Knoxville, good news, we're also going to be live streaming this on YouTube and possibly a few other places. We'll be live streaming it on t- Twitch as well. Uh, so there will be a a chat form where you can go in, you can interact with us. How you interact with us, we're going to keep a little bit of a secret oh. until the game comes out. We don't want to give that a part away. Do we we don't, we're going to tease that no. shit a little bit. No. But All you right. can All mention right. the best part about this whole thing. The best part about this whole thing is that it's for charity. All the proceeds from this event are going to go to the Extra Life Foundation, and their money goes towards uh, children memorial hospitals throughout the United States. It's a really great cause, uh, one that you know I've believed in for a long time. Um, as John laments constantly, I played Destiny. The Destiny community has raised uh, a shitload of money for extra life charities in the past. That's kind of how I copped on to them. Um, I really am a big fan of the work that they do. Uh, just just go go to YouTube and look up Extra Life Foundation and look at some of the work that they've done. And within a couple minutes, you'll understand how great this charity actually is. Uh, you'll be able to donate through a link that we'll put up in the Twitch feed. Um, we'll also post that link to our other social media. So even if you can't interact with us during the live stream, uh, you can still hop on and donate. And we definitely encourage that you do. Uh, we'll also have um, uh, we're, we're still kind of working it out, but we're going to have a method for if you if you join us live, uh, you'll be able to donate uh, in in the live venue as well. Um, so that's Extra Life Foundation um, in the show notes. We'll go ahead and, and put out a link to them if you want to know more about who they are and what they do. Um, but at the end of the day, let's have a fucking blast playing a Ready Player One version. Of of Tomb of Horrors, hanging out, have a few beers, have a few laughs, and raise some money for charity. It's going to be a good and, time. Yeah. And you know, when, uh, one of the, the fun parts here is that you guys haven't played D&D before. Never. No. I've always so, wanted to. So no, this I've is going to be as well. a new experience for you guys. We may do a little bit of practice in advance just to get the feel for it, but this will be your first module. Right. This will be my first module. So, again, uh, just one last time before we press on with Chapter 8. Um, that's 409 South Gay Street in Knoxville, Tennessee. Sutry's High Gravity uh, Tavern. We're going to be doing a live version of Tomb of Horrors. And the characters will be centered around four characters in Ready Player One. Who those characters are will reveal in the coming weeks. Yeah, that, uh, we're really excited about it. I'm fucking thrilled to do it i think it's gonna be a blast uh for those of you who've wanted to hear get to the good part unedited you're definitely gonna hear us unedited (laughs) and i promise you we will not disappoint we will be fucking morons yes and we will uh we will offend some we're gonna say things we're gonna regret (laughs) yeah the next morning yeah (laughs) it goes from 7 p.m to 9 p.m if you 
come to the live event, we'll be sticking around for a little while afterwards uh, to hang out with you guys, have a few beers. Hell, if you show up to the live event, I'll buy you a beer. It'll be a good time. We can sit there. We can talk Ready Player One. We can play some Joust. We can have a good time. It'll be a lot of fun. All right. So that is our live episode. We hope you can join us. This is Chapter 8 of Ready Player One, a chapter that begins with Wade Watts entering the Tomb of Horrors. Now, being somebody who's never played Dungeons and Dragons before, myself and I include John here. Yeah. I can't speak for John, but I will. Go ahead. Uh, it paints a pretty awesome picture of what you can expect in Tomb of Horrors. Now, as I understand it, Chris, you can shine a little light on this. Tomb of Horrors is a little bit different as far as modules go. Is that right? Um, a little bit, yeah. A lot of traps and... And uh, there are some monsters, but for the most part, it's a lot of traps, a lot of rooms, and we're going to have to go through it. The advantage for us, of course, is that we'll have the maps, much like Parsifal does. But, uh, it, yeah, it's it's uh, it's really, really nifty, really detailed, and also apparently really difficult. Because when we talk to our dungeon master and we were like yeah man we want to go through but our characters are probably like level two or three he was like there's no fucking way (laughs) so right off the bat we're like uh we're gonna die we're gonna die well he was he was like he was like you won't make it into the the first room you won't even enter the fucking tomb wars (laughs) we've we've so this is gonna be a really short short game yeah well, no, here's the thing. We've figured out ways around that, how we're going to play that and everything like that. I'm going to push out kind of slowly leading up to the event. Okay. Um, just to kind of tease tease it for you guys. Such um, tease. We, we've got some really kick-ass ideas for how to make this interesting and to not end the game within three seconds. Um, more details on that later. But again, let's get back to chapter eight. Um Chris, let me let me ask you this: sure. as a seasoned, if you can call yourself seasoned, Dungeons and Dragons player, what's your favorite module of all time? You know what? I've played some modules. In fact, I played one last year where uh, we were, um, <laughs> we weren't gnomes. We were, uh, God, I don't, I don't even fucking know what we were. No, it wasn't dwarfs. It was like ugly fucking creatures. Goblins. Goblins, yes. We, we goblins, played goblins. Okay. So, we, you know, they basically, they give you the sheets of the different goblin personalities, and you kind of read up on it, and you get what into is character. A, what is a goblin personality, Chris? Can you break that down? Uh, imagine Gollum, only he has a bunch of Gollum buddies, and they're all dressed, and they're all idiots, but they all think they're really smart. Those are goblins. But, you know, some of my favorite modules are the ones that the Dungeon Masters spend weeks creating. Mm-hmm. Because you're kind of going through a world that they're imagining, and they're setting up this quasi-linear path for you to explore. And you're just kind of exploring their realm of imagination. So my favorites are the ones that aren't actually pre-written modules, or the ones that the Dungeon Masters took time to create. So you're talking just, they write the module out? Mm-hmm. Do they base it on another module, or do they just come up with it off the top of their head? 
You know what? The the textbooks and the details are so uh, in-depth that, yeah, they can write it up on their own. Like, they, they'll create a map, and they'll figure out the storyline and and how you come across this mission. Uh, and, it, you know, you go into the bar, and, you know, you find that guy off in the corner who looks shady, and you go and buy something from him, and he says, before I can give this to you, you got to go do this thing. So it's very RPG-ish. You know, you meet mm-hmm. an NPC, or you you bump into something, and all of a sudden, before you, you've got this mission, and how you deal with it is up to you. But one clue, an event, leads you to the next. And again, it's very free form, but it's sort of a, like, choose your own adventure, but you're helping to write the content as you move through the base story. Sure. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question my question is, scale of 1 to 10, what's the difficulty of Tomb of Horrors compared to most modules? It's probably an 8. You know, it, I think a lot of people remember it as being one of the most difficult because it's probably one of the first ones they played. And mm-hmm. they probably played it with characters that were oh, uh, that lower sense. level anyhow. Yeah. But uh, just as a reminiscent kind of thing, I think that's like when, when people who were Star Wars hit them at the right age, they go, it's, it's the best movie ever. And, you know, I'll watch it now and I'll look back and go, it was okay. <laughs> it's more than okay. See what I mean? See, I've seen stuff where where people have said, <laughs> no, no, like, I they, I don't know, I, I don't know how much, how much water this carries, but. I've seen a few things online when I was looking up Tomb Fours that said like if you take like a cleric or a mage, they can cast a spell where they can cut a spell of location, mm-hmm. and then dig through the top of 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 where the treasure room is in the Tomb Fours, and just shortcut it that way. Which I don't know why the fuck you would do that. <laughs> like, I mean, obviously, like as as far as I understand D anD D. You, your your character's progress carries to the next module, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're supposed to keep so, your character alive, so you want to move through. Yeah, it does. So if you dump through the ceiling of this thing and you shortcut it by several hours, you stand to gain a lot from that that tactic without losing anything. That's but true. But it kind of it robs the spirit of the game. Yeah, yeah. Well... I, you could do that, right? Because it's a mound and you could dig through the top if you had this location. But, you know, the DM has some control over this. Like, like you could roll, but what you don't know is the number you have to roll over necessarily. And he could make it incredibly hard. He could make it so that you can't use your skill on this thing. It might seem like you can, but you can't. And, mm-hmm. you know, you might end up in a false location or, or you might end up digging into one of the many rooms that have traps. And it might be, oh, well, a Sarerak made it so that that room looked like the room you wanted to go into because he's a freaking powerful Demi-Lich. So there are ways to get around that sort of storytelling if if a player character gets clever and, and force them to kind of go through the front way. Like, it'd be a crappy DM that didn't catch you on that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So so you're saying that they would create... They would they would sort of create a situation where it would be... You would be... You could possibly, on a low roll, be penalized for doing something like that. Or you could make it so that no matter how high the roll is, you couldn't get past it. 
short of an impossible, you know, a near impossible roll. Like maybe you'd have to roll a twenty-one, mm-hmm. or a twenty. Sorry, not a twenty-one, but a twenty on a twenty-sided dice, or you'd have to have, you know, or even more than that necessarily. Like you'd have to have some advantages built in to 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 boost that that roll. But even so, even if you were successful, a, a dungeon master could be like, "All right, start digging." Because you're, as the DM, you're playing God. So if somebody wants to fuck with your story, you can kind of fuck back. Don't you also gain experience making your way through anyway? You do. So, I mean, you'd be sacrificing any possible experience gain by shortcutting through the entire uh, module, right? Yep. Yeah, that's true. And you, you get a lot of experience by completing it as well. So I don't know if necessarily the experience per se is on the way. Like most of the games I play, it's not like you get a bunch of gold and boom, you get a bunch of experience. Uh, unlike it is here in the book. Yeah. It's you get to the end and then usually the dungeon master will go through and say, and this whole thing was worth this experience. Uh, so you don't get your experience points till the end? A lot of the times I've played, yeah, that's how it worked out. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. You know, because okay. I'm not going to level up in the middle of a game, if that makes any sense. See, and that's that's where, I guess that's where it differs from yeah. RPGs that you play in video games and things like that. Right, yeah, the minute you get that experience, you level up and you can use the weapon you couldn't use five minutes ago. Right. Or so. you level up and you you can pick a different, you know, benefit or perk from, from that leveling up that'll help you in that specific scenario. And I, th- I think that the idea here is that in between games, your character is learning whatever it is you're le- leveling up to. So you wouldn't like instantly in a snap be able to start casting fireballs. It, you get your experience at the end, and between games, we assume the story goes that your character learned how to throw fireballs. And then the next time you go in, you can do it. Okay. So back to Chapter 8. Um... Really, this is a chapter that happens in two parts. Uh, the difficulty we've had in talking about the chapter is that there are two parts that are very descriptive about, I won't say mundane things, because in the story it's it's very riveting, but to talk about it on a podcast would be a little bit mundane, wouldn't you agree? It's a bit like eating, it's a bit like eating great pizza. And then trying to describe how great it is by using the word great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a riveting chapter. It's a turning, it's a major turning point in the book. I mean, basically, here, here's where we're at. Wade walks into the Tomb of Horrors knowing, knowing that, that this, is, this is where he's going to find the copper key, right? I mean, I think we can all agree on that. Yes. Yes. I mean, he's... Because he's found the Tomb of Horrors, because he's, he's gotten to this point, he knows that he's on the right track. He's, he, he's, or so he thinks, he's the first person to find the place where the copper key could be. Now, here's the thing. And this is something that he kind of talks about is he's making his way through the Tomb of Horrors. He's got a bit of a back and forth with himself on this. Um, and this is a point that I think is really important in this chapter. He brings up what happens if your character dies in the Oasis. 
right? Because mm-hmm. he's anticipating that there could be so. Even though he's got the module in front of him, he knows where the traps are. He knows how to avoid them. He knows his way through the Tomb of Horrors. Even still, Halliday is sort of unpredictable, and something could come up in in eighty six his character, and what happens? Uh, John, you, you lose you lose your all of your experience. Uh, and you start over from a spawn point. Yep. That's, that is so, my take at least. level three down to level zero, or one, wherever you start. The first time that I read it, mm-hmm. I, 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 I kind of read it, the, like, does he go back to Incipio, because that's a spawn point for all characters, or does he go back to the instance that he's in? I won't bring up Destiny. I've got a perfect example from Destiny. No, yeah, that, I, I, yeah, I thought of the same thing. Yeah. Uh, so in Destiny, in Destiny, what you do is like if you if you load into a mission, you drop into what's called a patrol zone, and a patrol zone can be filled with I, you know, a certain number of random characters who happen to be on the server that you load into, right? So you'll see them around doing patrol missions and things like that. But when you when you go into your, the the checkpoint to get into the mission that you're you're there for, it's called a darkness zone. And basically everything kind of drops out and if there's a, if there's a character you're not in a party with right next to you, that character will disappear because you're now in the instance of that mission. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, mm-hmm. so it goes from multiplayer to single player all at once. Um, that's that's kind of interesting uh, in context here. Now, if you die, you don't get sent back up to the tower, which is basically in Scipio and Destiny. You get shipped back to that checkpoint where you loaded in at, or the next checkpoint that you reach. Now, there is a game type in Destiny called a Nightfall mission. And this is a mission that resets weekly. And what happens is, uh, well, it used to happen this way. I don't know if it's changed. It's been a while since I've played Destiny. But but basically, what would happen is you'd go through. If you were with a party or with your by, you know, if you were by yourself, you would make your way through the Nightfall mission. And no matter where you died, you would be sent back up into orbit, or you'd be kicked out of the server entirely. So you'd have to start over. Yeah. From the very beginning, mm. no matter what checkpoint you reached in that mission. I guess that's pretty similar to what happens here. Where if you want to put it in a video game context, if Wade reaches a certain point in the tomb, you know, and he collects things along the way, anything that he collects... Now, in Destiny, if, if you collect things along the way, I believe that you keep them. If you get kicked back to the very beginning, but you start over. Hmm. So like if you, if you gain experience points, you keep them, but you get kicked back to the beginning. And imagine how shitty a game when they know that you're not only targeting a particular audience with expectations, but you're also targeting like a period of time that you know people have. You need a game that it's consumable maybe for hours or for 15 minutes. And you have to make it so that you're willing to press forward through the risk. So the risk has to be low. And you can't just invest a shitload of time only to have all your crap dumped when you get killed. 
Otherwise, mm-hmm. you just you'd play it safe. You'd never make it through the game. It wouldn't be fun. But right. I really like the idea here where you know people in the Oasis that spend a lot of time, it mirrors reality to a certain extent. It also means that there's a value, or lack thereof, placed on life where, you know, if you can't defend yourself, don't go into a PvP zone. Right, yeah. and Because that's a, a high-risk, high-reward situation or, or areas. And uh, if you're not willing to take the risk, you don't. You have the option not to go into the risk. Right. And for some reason, I want to bring it up just in case anybody who is reading the book and didn't get this, because it was something that, and this this comes into play more toward the end of the book, okay? So we we won't give too many spoilers, but I want want to mention it just as something to, to keep in the back of your mind. The way that some of the book reads, I feel like, is when your character dies, you lose level. Does that make sense? In the book? Yes. It seems like it kicks you all the way back to zero. Or at least that's how I... Yeah. I don't remember what chapter said that, but I thought it was pretty nailed down. You die, you start from scratch. Which is messed up. Yeah, the impression that I got was you had he had to, whoever was worthy enough to make it through and gain all the keys had to do it in one shot. Um. Yeah. How and, fucked up is that? Yeah, I mean, because I mean, he mentions he he may have made it too hard for anybody to complete. Um. Mm-hmm. And if you have, like, endless possibilities starting over, you know, just, like, you've already gotten the first two keys, well, I'm just on this last, you know, I just gotta get this last part done, and I'll have it, and you're starting at that point every time, um, it's not quite as difficult. Well, maybe that's the implication, too. And that's, you bring up a really interesting point there, John. Maybe it's not that you lose your, your level, but that you lose your inventory, so, like, if I were to gain a copper key and then I die, I have to go back and regain the copper key. Right. Okay. And you're always going to keep that in your inventory because you never know when you're going to need it. And there are some games that do that. Like, when you die, you drop your inventory, but you, assuming that somebody doesn't take your crap, if you get on fast enough, you can go to where you dropped it mm-hmm. pick that shit back up. Well, Ark's Ark, Survival Evolved. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've played that. That's a perfect example of that kind of thing. No, but I the heard that is, WoW was similar, if yeah. not now, once upon a time. You instance into a server. You play your game. Your your character has the inventory. The thing about Ark is when you log out, your character falls in the spot where they're standing. And they stay there until you get back on. So if somebody comes up and sees you just laying there, unless you're in a secure place... They could just hack up your body and take up your entire inventory. <laughs> well, that that force is a very real situation of, you know, like if you went to sleep, if you're if you're exactly. going to bed, you don't you yeah. don't sleep next to a freeway. But the Oasis doesn't seem to work that way. the The way the Oasis seems to work is if you log out, your character just kind of dissipates and yeah. goes into the ether, and it leaves I, with you. I don't remember which chapter it was, but my understanding was that you couldn't just log out because logging out is a a way that people have used as a as a means of escaping a bad situation like if you're overpowered and you just log out and you just disappear 
a, a lot of games prevent that, and I thought they addressed that in this he, book. Where he he talks about out, like going to a certain planet uh, and getting stuck there. We had this discussion, like how do you escape that situation if you're stuck and you, you know, do you just blow yourself <laughs> up? Uh, yeah. So yeah, you can't. I don't. Yeah, because I think when we were talking about that, we. Uh, at that point, we, we realized that you just you couldn't just log out and leave the area. Yeah, because uh, your character is going to stay around for something like thirty seconds or sixty seconds, and it's going to just be kind of either dumb or fall over, and then you're in the same problem. You're defenseless. Yeah, sure. So you're saying there's a latency to the logout procedure, like if you, otherwise if you were it's to used just... as a situational escape. Yeah, right. If you were to yank your cord or lag out, you know, just pull your connection, your character would exist there for another 30 seconds or something like that and leave you vulnerable. Yep. Or just, yeah. I guess that's a good control to put in there. Right. Yeah, you don't go starting shit and then go, I'm just going to leave. <laughs> yeah. There is Yank. no rage quitting. There's just rage unconsciousness. <laughs> that would be that would be the fucking douchebag version of the Oasis, would it, would it not? You would expect every douche in the Oasis to be like, to start some shit or to be like, like Leroy Jenkins you. You yeah. know, go into an instance and then be like, yank, <laughs> enjoy that, fuckers. Yeah. Like, <laughs> God. That, that would, be would be a douche so way. And, <laughs> be so pissed off. And there are games that are like that, like Eve, for example, uh, which is a space RPG of a sort, very open. But it has, uh, it has kill zones. It has PVPs and... It has the PVPs, and you go through a gate, <laughs> and there might be like twenty assholes sitting on the other side of the gate, and they they scramble your engines, and you know if you just went fuck off and and unplugged, it doesn't work like that. They all just shoot your shit and you die. Yeah. You, in fact, I've tried it. Like you log back <laughs> into the game, and I'm and my character's just a little egg floating in space. <laughs> <laughs> Where only then am I allowed to scurry home to some other ship I might have. <laughs> with your tail between your legs. <laughs> yeah. And there was one instance where I, I did. I jumped through, and there was at least 30 ships there. And they, they scrambled my warp, and they drained my ship. And I'm just floating there, and I got a text message. And they all stopped shooting at me. And they were like, get out of your ship, and we'll let you go. And I texted back, <laughs> you're pirates. If I get out of my ship, you'll kill me. And they said, no, no, no. We do this all the time. We're just going to take your ship. You can go. <gasps> oh. Okay. <laughs> they got out of my ship. They let me leave. <laughs> I, yeah, assholes about so they it. they didn't kill you just to do it? No, they were honorable. They took my ship, and they were going to cash it in for some Honor- shit. <laughs> yeah. Honorable. <laughs> Honor amongst thieves. Yeah. Uh, but at any rate, <laughs> here we are in the Tomb of Horrors making our way. Uh, Low-level Wade Watts. Finds himself making his way through every trap. It almost seems easy to him because he knows what's to come. He's like skipping and whistling as he's avoiding Basically. traps. Oh, I don't know yeah. if he's doing oh, that. Me. <laughs> he's he, he's walking past shit and just uh, throwing up throwing up some middle fingers. Now, there was something called like the gem of seeing, if I remember it correctly. Is that right? Yeah. Now, when I was reading through the module. The way that you earn the gem of seeing is through one of the entrances, you fall into a pit of poison spikes, and you will find the gem of seeing down there. <laughs> like you do. 
Like you do. <laughs> and I don't know how D&D works, but do you roll to not hit a fucking spike? You yep, do. Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Like, what are the odds? You got to roll to see if maybe you dodged them or landed cleverly or some bullshit like that. Yeah. You if totally you fucking would. bugs bunnied your way, like, <laughs> like just turned into <laughs> you do like a dexterity like a roll pattern to like fall between them. The dungeon master's doing last rites. Somebody's lost today's. Good luck with this. And then you roll super high and you just miss every spike and you can find the gems. That's it. There. Your shit just so, lands all fucking curved so and whatnot. And he just everything. knows how to land. That's an interesting thing, though, because it, like in order for him to find some of the stuff that he finds, and he mentions some of the stuff that he finds, like he finds some magic items. Um, he finds the gem of seeing, a bag of holding, which allows him to carry more stuff. Now, this is something that John and I talked about pretty extensively. At one point, Wade walks into a treasure room and finds himself just loading up on coins. Riches beyond what he could imagine at that point. And even more money than he's ever seen. And he's just loading his pockets down. He's got this bag of holding and he says, you know, despite my bag of holding, I can only carry so much. Then I go into my account and convert it to Oasis currency. Yeah, now, immediately thing, converted. Yeah, immediately converted. So just so the thing that we're stuck on is once you convert the currency, does it still weigh something? No, because you've converted it to you, you've basically deposited it into a bank account, right? Right. <laughs> You're tossing the gold in, and you hear chiching, chiching. That's the sound of me getting rich. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So if that's the case, okay. If that's the case that you pick all this stuff up, once it's in your inventory, you can deposit it into your Oasis bank account, which is currency that you know does or does not exist. Who knows? You know, you would think it doesn't weigh anything anymore. Would you not just stay there and farm the shit out of that area? Or if you could come back in, and we'll get into this later in the chapter. You can always go back through that module. It resets. Mm-hmm. Before you beat a Sararak or fought a Sararak, would you not go back through and farm that fucking treasure trove well, at least, over and at over least and pick over it and, all over, up. and over, over again? At least pick it all. If it converts immediately from your inventory to Oasis credits, you 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 then have all. more room to pick up the rest of it. So, like... The that whole... room would be a cement floor by the time I was right, done. Right, right. The whole idea clean. of, I, I, care I, I have taste. enough space to to pick every, all this gold and silver He'd up. Lick well, the you... gold dust off the floor. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> it, it at, this point, at this point, Wade's <laughs> not sure, or he's pretty sure, that uh, we, we know nobody's up on the scoreboard yet, right? So as far as yeah. Wade knows, nobody's found this yet. Fuck, dude, this is a cash cow. Yeah. Go in, play half the module, <laughs> load up. Come back the next day, load up, come back the next day. Shit, after a little while, you're going to be a billionaire. Well, you'll be a billionaire, and it's experience, too, because he says he's gaining experience while he's picking up the coins. Right. So it's it's a gold and experience yeah. line, potentially. Not pointing out a plot hole in the story. Not, not, like, this is not, this is not our opportunity to go in and bash on his client. I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's, it's, confusing. it's one thing that, that I think we caught... We, we, we kind of caught a snag on because it was like, okay, well, even if he only runs through it once, I mean, clearly if this is me playing devil's advocate here, if, if I had found 
the avenue to the copper key, right? Money, this this is kind of a good way to say that money isn't really the object here. If money was, he could replay this module over and over and keep stacking his pockets. He's really after the fucking copper key. Yeah. And anything yeah. he finds in between is just icing on the cake. But well, he's after that copper key. The real money's at yeah. the end. Right. <clears throat> but if he's gaining experience, yeah, he could have prepped himself a little more for what's to come by leveling up before five facing years. a Sarah. Nobody's found it. Could it wait another week? <laughs> That'd be my question. Could it wait another week yeah. to just do this a few yeah. times? He do might I, have been able to level I up to a point win, where he could confidently go in. Yeah, I mean, he's he's treading cautiously through the Tomb of Horrors at level 3. Just a week later, you're level 15. You're going to feel a little more confident. Hell, you'll have enough money and enough skills and uh, capabilities to like buy some shit yeah. to protect you versus the crap that you pick up while you're going through. Uh, that would be a, that would have been my thought. Yeah, this may surprise some of you guys listening out there because you know we're on the internet radio, so clearly we're millionaires. Oh, of course. But yeah. <laughs> but picking up gold coins every day, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> money, money is still an object to to us here. Get to the good part. I mean, you throw a treasure room in front of me, and you tell me it respawns. I'm gonna come back a few times before I press on. Yeah, just to be safe. Just to fund the rest of my journey. I mean, think about it. You don't know how much you're going to have to teleport. You know, you don't know how far you're going to have to go. You don't know what means you're going to need to have. And how many now, times you'd have to go. Like, like Right. Yeah. You don't know what you need to finish this journey. Now, clearly, Halliday's got this treasure room. I mean, that's, that's in the Tomb of Horrors. But Halliday's stocked it full of coins that could be transferred into Oasis currency. Right? So, it's like... This is going, like, you get the feeling at this point where it's like, this is going to help you fund your trip. I mean, this is real shit. Like, this is real credits in the game, and the game's credit system is is more solid than any monetary system in the world that's stated in the book. I mean, earning fucking real money. (laughs) This is a real discovery. I mean, it's not like you go into, you know, it's not like when you walk into, like, you know, an RPG video game, and you, you, you walk into a loot catch, and you're like, Holy shit, this is a really high-end weapon, and there's a bunch of coins in here, or caps, if you're playing Fallout, or whatever. You find a shitload of currency. Yeah. Like, it's not like that. Yeah. It would be like that if if you could say, okay, well, fuck, I just found 10,000 caps. Now I'm going to go to the bank, and I'm going to turn it in, and I have $10,000 <laughs> in my fucking bank account. Like, it's the same thing. Imagine I, I, that. I, I wonder if... Again, devil's advocate here. I I could see if the idea in mind was I loaded up what was comfortable enough to keep me from being encumbered to get the rest of the way. Because, you know, if I loaded this gargantuous Santa Claus fucking present sack that I'm tossing over my shoulder. But you immediately ah, transfer it to Oasis currency. Well, okay, now it doesn't say it disappears out of the sack. He says... That it stays in there. Like, maybe it disappears once you leave the, the thing, but oh, we don't know. Okay, That's a so, totally different point. That's okay. I want to bring it up because, like Chris said, when you play D&D, you don't get your XP until the end. Maybe you carry that with you until you're done. It it could very well be that but while you Wade can see says, your meters. I immediately go in and transfer it to Oasis Currency. Well, it yes, but it also the, the currency might be a reflection of the value you have. 
Sure. And so if there you might lose be value, it goes away. So you die, that value goes away. Like the currency <laughs> was gone. automatically converted, and my credit counter jumped to over 20000 Now, converted, converted is the <laughs> operative word there. Yeah. Well, and, and in addition anybody... to the credits, my avatar <laughs> received an equal number of experience points for obtaining the coins. Happens if... immediately. And if anyone who's listening has invested in Ethereum or Bitcoin, we all know that credits can convert down <laughs> as well as up. Yeah, but we're not talking about this as like an, he's not investing here. It, he cut, well, I mean, he's taking dollar for dollar, <laughs> as it seems, taking that money mm-hmm. and putting it into his account and tr- you know converting it to Oasis currency. So you would think that it would have no weight value at that point. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard to say. That one line makes it very difficult to say, oh, no, it's still physical. Like, you, you stick it in, and for all I know, the value is, you know, like the value of the shit on you. Not a reflection of it being in a bank account, but like, oh, look, I'm worth something right now. But if I pull the coin out of my sack, which is a very real-world situation, the counter goes down. You know, so think yeah, of it like a bank book of the money on your presence com- in the moment. But converting that's not what the line is says. different than a tally. Yeah. Well Yeah. It's it's hard to argue <laughs> against because the line's pretty clear. You know, ka ching, shit's converted. Here's the yeah. thing. We're gonna argue a point that will never be proven. Well it, okay? we've, we've, I mean yeah. there's there's no way to prove it. It's an oddity. At the very least it is it's a weird odd. it's a weird we Undescribed, unexplained yeah. shit. In the movie, he's gonna grab a bunch of sh- a bunch of gold and silver and then move on. And his bank account <laughs> is gonna, the numbers he's not gonna, gonna go. Yeah. Explain that he can't carry anymore. He's just gonna say, "Well, shit, I got a lot of money." <laughs> it's gonna, gonna be like fucking Ma- Mario, where the coins bounce over yeah. his head as he's getting it. Or when he when he hits the uh, the fucking turtle over and over. Do you ever yeah, do that? Yeah. Like when you get to the oh, end of the yeah. level and you can like hit the turtle and you just keep getting those extra lives. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, like forever. All right. Anyways, anyways, twenty thousand. Dollars, twenty thousand experience points later, Wade finds himself in the central chamber with none other than the unexpected presence of Sarak sitting in a throne, looking like a fucking handbag <laughs> or an alligator or something, just disgusting. I mean, mm, like, you the sound way he's like the book is fucking gross. Yeah. So here's a Sarak, and as Wade predicted, there's an interaction between the two of them. And Aserak confirms that the only way to the copper key is through me. And you have to best me at a challenge. It's a joust game, right? Mm-hmm. A game of joust. But it's not a game of joust with horses, but with birds. With birds. As Will would say. <laughs> How do you say birds? birds. Is, there, is there an <laughs> A in that fucking word? Birds. <laughs> Oh, did you say bads? Bads. (laughs) No, it's bads. (laughs) So, Sarah challenges Wade, much as death does to Bill and Ted in the bogus journey, challenges them to a game of skill and or chance. Um, this this is a call. Do you think this is a callback to Bill and Ted? I didn't think about that until now, but yeah, maybe. 
I mean, you, you could you you could maybe call it a callback to Seventh Seal. I've not seen Seventh Seal. Mm-mm. It's about a guy coming out of the the Crusades, making his way home, and death finds him at the very beginning of the movie on the beach and tells him it's time to come home. And the only way that he can escape death is to challenge him to a game of chess. It's super fucking interesting. It's such a good movie. Definitely right, seen Seven Seals. One okay. of the greatest movies ever made. In comparison to Bill and Ted's, it, it kind of reminds me of a lot of stories where your challenge, the, one of the players is challenged or a character is challenged, but what it, it's really designed to do is highlight the skills of the character in contrast to something that should be better. So I'm, I thought of this when I read this was kind of like uh, the, the Devil Goes Down to Georgia. You know, he, he plays his fucking violin, and th- oh, yeah. the devil plays a violin. And, you know, he has to be better than the devil in order to win the golden violin. And here, he's like, you don't have to kick my ass. You've just got to do something you're already really fucking good at and beat me who should be better. Yeah, But that's, I mean, that's kind of the same idea, yeah, whether it's I, chess or the fiddle. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, it's the same kind of theme. Yeah. I was just using but, a different example I could relate to. Right. <laughs> I was thinking of the but, same thing actually. You were thinking you were thinking of Devil Went I Down. I was thinking Georgia. of Devil Went Down to Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he's I, like and playing I didn't, and I didn't want to say anything, but you said it. So. You you can bet that when this comes out on the movie, I'm going to cut scene the shit out of this part and use the Devil Came Down to Devil Goes Down to Georgia music on top of it as a montage. <laughs> So look look forward to that, folks. Yeah. <laughs> it might be part of the soundtrack. Yeah. So, anyways. <laughs> Lucky for Wade, he has played jazz before. Not only has he played jazz, he's played it competi- uh, competitively against H. Um, it's been a little while, about a year since he's played it. But he's pretty confident he can knock the rust off. Now, as he does, he loses the first game. But in the second game... He begins to anticipate the movements of a Sararak. And he does this by saying that AI or a computer opponent has sort of a predetermined set of of movements. And if you can kind of trick the 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 computer, you can gain an advantage. And at this point he brings up a line that I brought up on Reddit. Went back and forth with some people. Very interesting line where he says that would be an axiom in video game or that was an axiom in video games or would be until AI was invented or true AI was invented. So interesting, interesting thing to say. Now, clearly, since this is this book is written, uh, you know, on a narrative thread from Wade, it you know it's written from the future, looking back on the contest, right? So you can parse out the and, and separate the whole past tense there. That until it was it, true, AI was invented, right? So it's not saying that at this point in the book it was invented, mm-hmm. but it's saying it might have been by the time that that Wade was narrating the book we don't really know until you until you had read the quote i was i was really kind of along the lines that this was that uh, uh future perfect tense 
where he's referencing the past in the place of the future. Uh, like, I will have eaten dinner tomorrow night. Uh, but when you read it, it definitely kind of came off like he was talking about, yeah, well, you know, AI was invented, you know, but speaking of, you know, where I am now versus where I was then, that sort of thing. It's worded in such a way that could be... I can see uh, why you stopped on this one. I really yeah. I mean, and I like it. Okay, so there, there's an opportunity to parse something out here. So, so for me, it works in two ways. In one way, everybody's familiar with simulation theory. If you're listening to this podcast, you're, you're familiar with simulation theory. It's what Elon Musk about <laughs> that reality is a simulation, right? Uh, it's, the, it's the 101 psychology of brain in the jar. How would you know when all of your senses are feeding into basically an office. Where so inherently, if, if reality is in a your simulation, brain. there is a creator, right? Mm-hmm. Sure, I'll bite. We could be looking at a technically parallel universe because if there are pure, pure simulated beings that are true AI, they're capable of thought and feeling within the Oasis... We've technically created a parallel world to our own. Yeah, yeah, almost. But it's a, a parallel world that we can inhabit. It's like a, it's like an overlaying dimension where we can invade that dimension, but they can't invade ours. Exactly, and right. they can only they can only conceive ours. Like we can we can describe it to them, mm-hmm. but and, and maybe they can wrap their heads around it. Who knows? I mean, maybe they can't. Maybe maybe because it's so outside of their realm of, of thought that they can't. Who knows? If it's true AI. It's it's hard. It's the matrix. It's hard to parse. Actually, but, yeah, the matrix is exactly what that is. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's an interesting point um, to think that maybe that's where maybe that's where Ready Player One is heading. If it, I hope so. If it becomes a trilogy, maybe Wade becomes you know connected with the Oasis in a different way than we see right now. I think that would be an interesting arc on the book. Um, Seeing what they did with the other Matrix movies, it terrifies the shit out of me. <laughs> well, and, because you Matrix, know, the first Matrix movie was great. As, the other two were fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah, as limited as our as our technology is right now, there are people who have attempted to uh, sort of imprint or record their mind's activities. And I don't mean just journaling, but I mean the idea of putting themselves into. It's that ghost in the machine idea. We're, right. That was that that's sort of the other option here. Okay. Is that two, you know, reality being a simulation, that's an arc for the story. Uh two, if if at this point in the story, that was sort of Halliday's legacy, right? That he left behind a blueprint for true AI. In addition to $240 billion in control of GSS, he's also giving you the blueprint for how he exists within the Oasis. So maybe Wade is the one that takes that and says, GSS is now going to develop true AI. You know, the, the funny point there is that in chapter one, he's like, well, can't take it with you, can you? Right. And my thinking is, is that if he really created true AI to at this point... You would have seen it in in the but, unpredictability of the AI that he says he created in a Sarek. But that's an interesting point too, 
Because if you can't take your consciousness with you, it doesn't mean that you can't leave it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, I, I can see a story branching off, and I would really love to hear how that might be done. Because that's that place where technology might branch off. And, well, and okay. Life is, life is a series of choices, right? I mean, like, if you play adventure games or if you're a fucking human being, life is a series of choices. Sure. So, if you leave your consciousness behind to be inhabited by an AI, a true AI, that is capable of thought, that is capable of emotion, that is capable of interacting with people in a very natural way. Mm-hmm. Now, who's to say that the decisions that AI would make would be the same as yours? And again, that brings up parallel universe theory, where the arc of, you know, one universe is completely separate from another. Okay. Now, that's not too separate from what we understand of parallel universes, what we what we theorize as a parallel universe, that it could be just a different trajectory based on one decision, right? Now, sure. that's consistent with, with what we're talking about here. If Halliday leaves his consciousness in the Oasis as a true AI, whatever decision he makes arcs off into a separate parallel universe to our own. It's not inconsistent with the theory of a par- parallel universe. Sure. I'm going off the deep end here. No, no, no. Okay. I I, I could see that, but then uh, if I was in his shoes and I was to create uh, an, uh, the most advanced AI, the edge of AI... And I'm the first inhabitant of that AI, You'd right? You'd be making porn. We all know. Yeah. That. Well, okay. But aside from that, <laughs> my second thing uh, I would, would be: I would ensure that my wealth and power would transfer to my character in game. Why would I need to find somebody else to take over when I would do it myself? Because you're God. Well, yeah. So why would I? I'm, I'm you sorry, wrote why would yourself I do that? into the code. You're God. I mean, like, there's no, there's, there's nothing you would ever want. Well, for. maybe there's some things that are outside of the oasis that somebody would need to have control over, or maybe you would want to hide. You know, because which is hey, why you would find somebody like Wade to control it. Right. Sure, to I make see sure that. that you exist consistently within the oasis. You right. Know, the, the way that a a a god can escape goddom is being killed. Now. If that god isn't killed, that means that he can now exist with a greater degree of power through the freedom of now anonymity. That, you know, if you believe that he's not in the Oasis anymore, he's free to do more. And I want to harken back to Westworld, which you need to see. <laughs> but it, it, there's a similar... It, I just thought about this days ago when we were talking about Westworld. The thought crossed my mind in that exact same way, which is if you can fake your own death and putting yourself into AI is a great way to kind of fake your own death, mm-hmm. then you can still exist as God in without being known. And now you have more power through that freedom. Exactly. And we'll we'll see that played out a little bit in future chapters. Right about how you can exist within that realm being unseen right? and still all-powerful. Right. But one way or another, we know where Wade is. He's playing Joust against a Sararak. And at the end of the day, after a sweaty fucking battle, he defeats 
the Demi-Lich and is awarded the Copper Key. And after he does this, he's greeted by Halliday himself. Or, I should say... Acerarach morphs Anorak. Yeah, Acerarach morphs into Anorak, which we know from previous chapters is basically Halliday's identity in any fantasy game he's ever engaged in. Uh, it's a wizard with black flowing robes. Gives him basically what uh, could be amounted to is a motivated, motivational speech here, right? He turns into Tim Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> Life is about pain to- and Tony pleasure. Robbins. Tony, Tony Robbins. Robbins, my bad. <laughs> but, but no, I mean, yeah, I mean, he basically comes out and, and you know, I mean, gives, gives any quest giver speech where basically says, more to come, you're doing a good job, you're on the right track. It's just, it's more of a narration. Attaboy. You know? Like, there's no interaction between the two. Right. And this is something that that people brought up on Reddit. I mean, as proof against the AI theory, or true AI theory, is that this seemed like a pre-recorded message. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. You've you've reached... uh... (laughs) Sarah slash princesses in another castle. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for playing the game. Uh, please leave a message at the tone. Yeah. But whatever it means or, you know, I mean, Halliday gives him a little bit of a pep talk. Anorak gives him a little bit of a pep talk. And he's on his way. Halliday uh, also gives him, is is it printed on the key or does Halliday just like speak it to him? The next clue. Yeah, it's written on the key. Yeah, written on the key is the next clue. Uh, to to push Wade farther into his journey, and it, John, we read exactly what it says. What you seek lies hidden in the trash, on the deepest level of Daggerath. So immediately, Wade knows what the fuck that means, right? Yeah, yeah, he's not confused by that line. It's really interesting too, because like like out of context, right? I mean, even Wade says like this can mean a couple different things. Yeah, you know, like Daggerath is is you know something in Elvish that J.R. Tolkien wrote, but there was also in a, in, and this will piss anybody off who hates the references part of this book an incredibly obscure reference to yeah. a 1982 video game made only for the TRS-80. Right. <laughs> I mean, again, just reaching into that fucking bag of tricks there. I mean, for anybody who does not like the references, that has got to be an itchy line. It is a bit like saying, I'm incredibly awesome for knowing that. Right, yeah. right. It's like saying... Even for yeah, those seasoned gamers out there, here's a little bit did. of trivia for you. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is, this is the marriage... Be- this is why nerds and hipsters get along so well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, do you know this obscure like bit this. of knowledge I've got <laughs> hidden? This, this is why I'm the author and you're the reader. All right. <laughs> so, Wade is on his way to Middletown... Uh, Halliday's place of birth uh, to to find the deepest dungeons of Daggerath hidden in the trash that's a TRS-80. We kind of prefaced that here already. Yeah. We know where Wade's going. He's going to Halliday's boyhood home. What happens next? We don't know. But as he's walking out of the Tomb of Horrors, he sees somebody approaching shadow of somebody at first 
and then confirms that there is another avatar here in the Tube of Horrors with him. Wade thought he was with the, thought he was the first. Maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. We don't know now because there's another avatar here. Shit just got fucked up. Stuff yep. got real. Shit got Stuff real. got unpredictable. We don't know what's going to happen. Chapter 9 lies ahead. We'll find out a little bit more. This is and has been Get to the Good Part. I am Ryan. I'm John. And this is Chris. We'll see you next time. So long, Gunters. It is what it is. You know, I mean, please fucking take that out. I can't believe I just said that. It is what it is. Don't, don't, don't take yeah. that out. I'm not proud of that. Oh, it's all right. Just get her done. <laughs> get her done. <laughs> what it was was that he just went into Jesus the chamber the wheel. and he got no. good. <laughs> A thirst for revenge sends one man on a deadly journey through the galaxy in the adrenaline-pumping new novel, Galactic Satori Chronicles. Written by Nick Breaker and Paul E. Hicks, this raucous sci-fi adventure introduces Asher, a young man whose world is turned upside down when he discovers that his fiancée's death has been directly caused by an imminent alien invasion. In a desire to better understand humans in order to destroy them, these aliens are projecting their consciousness onto unsuspecting men and women, and in the process are learning exactly how to use humanity's own selfishness and greed as weapons against them. Fueled by emotions that the aliens will never understand, Asher bands together with a group of friends. These four MIT co-eds are more than meets the eye and go to battle with those who are intent on destroying our planet. Asher takes the fight from Earth to an alien spaceship and back again. A fight that will either save the planet or doom it. The first installment in an upcoming series, Galactic Satori Chronicles, is an engrossing look at the manipulation of time, mental projection, futuristic technology, and of course, aliens. By Nick Breaker and Paul E. Hicks, pick up Galactic Satori Chronicles now on Amazon. Link in the show notes.